This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Tuesday, time for our crack strategy panel and day 12 of the siege of our capital city, a.k.a. the Freedom Convoy. Yesterday, the prime minister finally said something at an emergency debate in parliament and he called on the protesters to go home. So will his words help or just make the protesters double down? as interim conservative leader Candace Bergen suggests. I must say, I was surprised that the injunction granted by a judge yesterday was effective in silencing the incessant horns driving the citizens crazy. Seems to have been effective in getting them to stop that at least. And while we're on the subject of conservatives, Pierre Polievre became the first to officially jump into the leadership race. And another name is being thrown out there, National Post columnist Tash Carradine, who was on this program just last week. Now, She opposes the protests, and a move to draft her perhaps crystallizes the divide between those MPs riding this wave and those more traditional conservatives telling the convoy to go home. Meanwhile, at Queen's Park, reports that the four Tories are thinking of scrapping the $120 a year license sticker fee, uh, and that's a move that would dovetail with their plan for the controversial Highway 413. What do you think? $120 break, enough to get your vote? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I'm joined by Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, John Capobianco, Senior Vice President, Senior Partner, Fleischman, Hillard, High Road, and Charles Souza, the former Minister of Finance for Ontario and MPP for Mississauga South. How are, hi, everyone. Hey, Libby. Hi, everybody. Well, well as uh, you heard in Bob's news, this, uh, you know, this dissension by this Quebec MP, Joël Lightbound, uh, is seems to be getting a lot of play anyway. He's the first to openly break with his party and, and, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, who runs a pretty tight ship. Um, is it that significant, uh, Charles? Um, I found him, and I don't know him, but when I heard him today, he was articulate, he was calm, he was direct, and he obviously it's controversial. I'm sure within the party it's creating a lot of angst right now. But he is speaking, I think, in a way that most Canadians feel to the extent that hey, we're doing our part, we're vaccinated, we're there, we get it. But let's be sensitive to those that are not and just treat it more um, respectful. And I guess the point that I see him making, and, and I think a lot of us are asking Trudeau to be the same way, it's like, don't be so defensive. Like, you have the right to stand up for democracy because you're duly elected. You're asking the protesters to protest peacefully, but when it comes to occupation or overthrowing the government, what's a non-starter? So that's it. You don't have to get into anything more. And, of course, there's factions that are within this protest or with this convoy that are, hmm, I don't know, unsavory. I don't know where the money's coming from. I think Mark Carney says, follow the money. Find out who's actually inciting some of this initiative. But Trudeau has a principal stance that he can take without being insulting to others. Mm-hmm. without being condescending, which is kind of how I think Lightbound, I believe his name is, is trying to express it. Uh, John, what do you think? Well, you know, uh, this is not insignificant, Libby. This news about Joel Lightbound, who, by the way, not only is he a Quebec MP, he's the president of the Quebec caucus, and, and sort of has always been seen as a bit of a rising star within the Liberal Party ranks. Uh, so he's not just, you know, he's not just a backbencher, but Charles is right about how he came across today, calm, 
reasonable and also had some solutions and some thoughts about how to get out of this mess. So it wasn't just him saying something. So the, the reason why I find this to be profound is that he has been saying things that conservatives have been saying for some time about Justin Trudeau politicizing this during the election campaign and since then and, and how, you know, this protest as much as, uh, as much as it is, it is turned into something very ugly, but there's some elements in there that, that we should be, we should, we should be attentive to things that people like Candace Bergen, has said, and of course was vilified by the media and by others because, oh my God, she's saying something that Donald Trump said, you know, five years ago. You know, he's saying it in a way that is reasonable, but yet as a liberal MP, he seems to be getting a lot more attention. And people are starting to say, even the media, and I saw his press conference, which was very impressive. Even the media was saying, well, listen, this was a reasonable, uh, you know, articulate way of, of saying it because, of course, he's a liberal MP and he's He's going against his, his liberal brand. So, look, let's not let's not underestimate the power of this message and whether or not. And the other thing that he said that I thought was really profound too, Libby, was that he said there were others within his caucus who agree with them but weren't ready yet to make their voices known. So, there's a bit of a fissure that is happening there. And this one this one MP, uh, Joel Lightbound, has actually you know sort of shone a light there, but has at least created now a debate and a discussion about what the Liberals should be doing with respect to a plan to get us out of this mess. And and quite frankly, as you said earlier in your comments, you know, the Prime Minister finally showed up because he had to get pressured by all the opposition parties to say, where have you been? Where are you? And he finally showed up only to say, you know, go home truckers. And as if that's as if they're going to listen to that kind of rhetoric. Okay, Karen. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, what I think is actually quite tactical. And um, I if if it actually is strategic, then I, I applaud the Liberals for it because the reality is Justin Trudeau is so entrenched in his position. Um, you know, it would take a forklift to move him off it. That being said, I think the rest of the country, as we talked about last week, is moved to a different place in terms of our understanding of Omicron, our understanding of transmission, our understanding of the limitations of vaccine. And it's a different message now. And so the problem for the liberals is that Justin Trudeau is extremely committed to his position. And then on the other side, you have the truckers, which are seen as protesters. And even if there's some legitimacy into what they're saying, nobody can be seen to be swayed by the protesters. So now here comes this middle-of-the-road liberal, seen as a rising star from Quebec, speaking in a way that resonates with a number of people. I think it allows the liberals and Justin Trudeau in particular to figure out a way to move to a place where I think the country wants to go without having it seem as if he's capitulated to the protesters. Um, Okay, let's talk about the protesters. I mean, uh, people in Ottawa feel like they have been abandoned and let down, certainly by the local authorities, by the police. Uh, We are hearing opposition leaders at the provincial level calling on Doug Ford to do certain things. They want the prime minister to uh, weigh in here. The police chief there says he needs 1,800 more officers. So um, the question is, whose big fail is this, Charles? Great question. I mean, in our last show, I recall last week, um, I also was of the opinion that the police should have been more engaged. Uh, you know, there's, there's one thing to protest, there's I think to break the law and, and, and to put other people at harm. And that's what's happening here. And, you know, Jim Watson is the mayor there, and he's come out asking for more support. And in a state of emergency, maybe it could have been called earlier. That's part of the question that's being had right now. But both the federal and the provincial governments have something that they could have done. And I know, I mean, the premier is trying to play, play both sides, right? He's trying to be folksy. He's trying to be warm with the protesters, recognizing uh, their dilemma and appreciating their frustrations. But <laughs> there's a lot of frustrations now being had because these people are impeding and going well beyond the protest. And as they say, it's become an occupation. So all the power to them, the, 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 the province should have been more clear in terms of the support they were going to give Ottawa with regard to OPP. And everyone's got to come clean and just get it done. Well, uh, it looks like uh, it's, it's, it's not going to get cleared. I mean, all kinds of people have latched onto this, some of them uh, quite unsavory. And uh, the money is pouring in from all kinds of uh, sources that we haven't seen a lot of. We've got uh, cryptocurrency kings pouring money in. We have this, you know, since GoFundMe 
cut off the money, they have this Christian service and they raise three million bucks on the weekend. So, you know, why should they go and anywhere unless they are forced to, Karen? And well, you know, I guess to take a step back, right? Like it, the issue isn't the issue is how do you manage protests? Period. And I mean, if we think before the pandemic, our railway was shut down by protesters for over three weeks, and the RCMP didn't know what to do. And so we, we, we already know it's not as simple as enforcing the rule of law. And the reality is we've abandoned any kind of framework with which we all agree we're going to deal with these acts. And these acts are disruptive, and they are disruptive to neighborhoods, they're disruptive to economies, and they, they are, um, th- th- they need to be dealt with, but the, the way to deal with them is not, is not straightforward. And I think the fact that the truckers did stop with the horns when they were asked to stop with the horns is actually um, working to their favor because I read the New York Times on the weekend and the New York Times had a very different view of this protest. They described it as almost carnival-like. There was live music and bouncy castles and they had set up stations where they gave giving away free powder donuts. So the, we have a view of this protest and then the world has a view of this protest and it's seen as as a, a peaceful demonstration of of a, a of a, of a position that is shared by people around the globe. And so now they want to emulate what we're doing in Ottawa. And so that's very tricky. It's a very tricky position. And the Ottawa police do not have the resources to move these trucks. You can't just tow them. So you're, so you're, how you're, are you going to get rid of them? You're, so uh, you're, it's a problem. You, you know, um, uh, the mayor was asked today, Jim Watson, uh, if he still had confidence in the police chief. And he said, yes. So do you have any issue, Karen, as a former municipal councillor with the municipal, with the mayor, with the police chief? Uh, do you think they could have done better? Well, I'll put it out there. I know Peter Soli personally, and I think he's a fine individual. And I think he's just legitimately not equipped to deal with this kind of mm-hmm. situation. And that neither is the mayor. Like, I don't even know. We wouldn't have done it any better in Toronto if those trucks had blocked our highway and then they are around Queens park and then you can't, as I say, you can't tow them. You can't, I mean, you you can't really arrest them. And even if you did, the trucks are still there. So it's, I mean, I don't know if you remember when we had, um, there was a a protest in Sri Lanka and they all marched on the, on the, on the gardener. Remember that John? Yeah, I do. Right. And then there was like chief Blair was there at the time. And, you know, there was some people calling to get the water cannons, but they put the children in front and we're not going to water cannon children on the, on the gardener, like for heaven's sakes, but they had taken up university Avenue for well over a week. But there, there, there aren't children in this protest. No, but it's the same issue. Is it, you know, confronted with, there's no playbook for dealing with protests and there's no, there is no way that Peter slowly has any resources to move out these trucks. And so and 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 again, and water cannons are too extreme. I, I don't think you could even water cannon the trucks out of there. You could water cannon the people out of there. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, the trucks. <laughs> well, the yeah, the people out of there would be would be a, a big a yeah, big sure. go a long way sure. to resolving but, but the problem. We don't, we, we don't water cannon anybody. We haven't water cannon protesters in twenty years. And I don't believe if we were to water cannon these protesters that it would be looked well upon by the courts or by anyone watching a response to be candid. Um, John? Yeah, you know, I, I think the, the issue here is, is you know, when you're dealing with protests, and we've seen this in history, right, with, with respect to the various amounts of protests, you either deal with them with force because by laws are not going to change them. If they're entrenched, uh, and if they believe in something and they're going to defy uh, the, the rules and whatever, laws are not going to make any difference. But but force does or negotiation does. And what we saw mm-hmm. with the even with the, uh, the, the the First Nations protests when they were blockading the, the railways, um, you know, it, it, it took the government to go in and talk to them and have some level of discussions and negotiations before they they disbanded. So, you know, to, to outright say, well, we're not going to negotiate with these guys and to mm-hmm. call them whatever you want to call them, terrorists, uh, I've heard, and others, you know, that's, it, 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 you, you rule out one of the major tactics to get rid of a, to get rid of a protest by saying that and starting off with the point of, well, you're not going to talk. But to they've them. said that well, they're, they're not going to negotiate. They aren't leaving well, uh, yeah, unless but, but, the but, prime minister 
minister capitulates or or the governor general takes over the government with everybody them. Everybody yeah. starts off in right. a position, right? Everybody starts off with a position to say, well, this is what we want, and we're not going to do this. But at some point, they're going to listen. They listen to the court injunction, which is good, and I, and, I, and I, you know, that's, that's at least a start. But nonetheless, you, you can't start off in, you know, any sort of dispute by say, by ruling one of the tactics off the table right off the bat. But nonetheless, all I'm saying is, is that, like, I think that what we need to do, and, and there's all levels of government are, are to blame, but I would say when it's your original question about the city and the municipality, yes, they're at fault, because look what happened in Toronto. If things went completely the opposite direction in Toronto over the last weekend, who would have been blamed? It would have been the mayor of Toronto and the police chief of Toronto would have been blamed. Um, but the fact that they managed it and they were able to block some of the hospital, your hospital role and some of the others that became sort of a one-day one day issue, they were allotted for, for their work. So yes, if it, if it went bad, they would have been blamed. But if it's good, if it went well, then they should be applauded for the work that they did, at least to, to prevent any major incidents from happening in downtown Toronto. And I think the same is happening now in Ottawa, although it's now two weeks too late. But at least they're starting to put in a plan and put in more police forces and start to get some level of of reaction, which I think they should have done, you know, weeks ago. Well, I I think the authorities here were lauded and and they certainly had the benefit of hindsight. Charles, uh, some of the suggestions that we've seen from the provincial opposition leaders, uh, Stephen Del Duca and Andrea Horvath, is uh, pull their commercial licenses. Uh, the, The way Stephen Del Duca put it was, Tell them if either leave or lose your rig. I mean, that, I guess that would take time. Uh, Andrea Horvath saying you pull their license, their commercial licenses, they don't have the right. And I guess, I mean, down the road, if they are convicted of something criminal, they won't be able to cross the border. Um, yeah, and rightly so. I mean, look at, let's talk about the border. Right now, um, they've, been, they've been sending out fake pictures of empty shells prior to the convoy. Well, now those empty shells are becoming more of a reality. That because was Melissa Lansman. That should exist at the border. And they're impeding other truckers who are doing the work, who are there to, to serve and to provide uh, support. And they're trying to do a living, trying to provide a living. And they're obstructing that very issue. That's beyond protest. That's now impeding economic activity and endangering uh, others. But and is the that protest so- and, and, and the occupation in, in, in Ottawa is costing us a lot of money as well. Well, the uh, Rideau Centre... So they should be, they should be uh, rectified and they should be punished for it. Well, the Rideau Centre alone uh, has lost about $20 million in sales. Mm-hmm. I feel terrible for people in the restaurant industry who are looking forward to reopening and who are stuck. But, uh, Charles, sort of a yes or no question. Are those ideas from the opposition, are they good ideas or not workable? I think John put it the same way. It's, you know, it's a conversation. Well, let's, let's have a real conversation. And let's talk about what the consequences of these actions really mean. And I think by taking a tougher stand is probably more appropriate. With regards to the illegal activity, let me be clear. I believe these guys have a right to protest, and I believe and I understand their frustrations. Don't diminish that, but let's not then put everybody else at harm. And I think that's the issue that's, at, that, that's coming to, to, to bear. And if this were happening in Toronto, and if we didn't, didn't have the benefit of seeing what happened in Ottawa to prepare for it, believe me, the premier, Doug Ford, would be up in arms if it was happening right here in his backyard. He'd be really uptight because everyone would be on him to rectify it, and he would have felt that pressure. More so than he's feeling it now because of Ottawa. Um, that's uh, very possible. He seems to be trying to sort of play both sides a little bit. Uh, in terms of the conservatives, so Pierre Polyevra is the first one to jump in, and he's been cozy with the protesters. And I think um, that kind of highlights the divide in in the party. Uh, I've heard the name Tasha Kerrigan put out there. She says she's considering it. I mean, she doesn't have the profile of Pierre Polyevra. We were talking to her on the show last week. She's a, a very interesting, smart woman. Um, and uh, there have been other conservatives like Pierre Paul Hus, who says, you know, the protesters should leave. So uh, what about the impact on the race? Karen? Yeah, I, you know, again, I think um, it's difficult right now because I, I think that the timing of the race will be such that the decision will be made in short order. And as John pointed out 
um, it's become extremely politicized around the issue of vaccines and vaccine mandates. And um, probably a leader will get selected um, out of an emotional response as opposed to a more um, thoughtful response is my guess. And it probably will be Pierre Polyavra. Did I pronounce his name correctly? Yep. Um, because he does have the name recognition. He has, he is articulate. He is, um, he's a great uh, communicator. He's, he's been a, on he's the show many times. There's no question about it. I mean, the challenge he'll have, of course, is that he'll have to figure out how to do the pivot better than Aaron did. O'Toole from being the spokesperson of the agitated to the leader of a country and, um, whether he can make that shift, who knows, but I, I don't think there's anything left to decide. I think it will be him. Wow. <laughs> uh, John, yes or no, do you agree? I, I've learned a long time ago never to disagree with Karen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say never to say it until the voters count. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but, you know, it, it, obviously he's the front runner, and I thought he was obviously quite smart and strategic to get out there early. And, and his video, by the way, which was released on social media on, I think, a Saturday night at 7 o'clock, Got I think 3.7 million views by uh, by by yesterday, probably more by now, which which is actually unheard of for, from a political perspective. And, and both Charles and and Karen know because they they started their careers back when social media wasn't so much you know as, as prominent as it was today as it is today with with respect to, to government and politics. But no, Pierre's going to be a formidable force without a doubt. He's one that that I think the Liberals fear the most when it comes to uh, questions being asked. Uh, in the House. But there are other names. You know, you mentioned Tasha Kearden. I've known Tasha. Tasha and I were both involved in youth politics back in, in 1990. And, and she is incredibly smart, bilingual, lived in Quebec, lives in Ontario now, um, you know, doesn't have a seat in the House, which I think would be a challenge in, in some ways, and isn't known to, you know, terribly well outside. But certainly, I think this race could could could, could be a, a very good platform for people like Tash and others to come in. But Josh Ray's name's been mentioned um, as well, and, and he's being sought after. Would he uh, want to do Brown. it? I don't know. You know, Libby, he was seriously thinking about it last time and then ruled it out. Um, but, you know, I, I'm... He's my, been my conservative. Phone. He's been liberal. He's... <laughs> Well, he's been a Quebec liberal, maybe, so that is a difference. Okay. <laughs> okay, I will grant that. Um, Charles Souza, what do you make of the Polyèvre candidacy? Well, I thought his video was actually pretty good. A bit long, but it was good. And to you, the, I agree with the others. Uh, he's very dynamic. Uh, uh, he can speak well. He can also be very condescending with his opponents, which is what the critics do. And he comes across like Perry Mason in those committees. Perry Mason, for those... Well, I'm, I'm sure most of your listeners know who Perry Mason is. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, Not but, the youth wing, Charles. <laughs> the, um, but he, his, the opponents collapse. Like, it's infuriating to watch them um, get, get under, he gets under their skin, and they don't know how to respond. I go, just be honest, just be direct. And, P- and Pierre it does gimmicks, he misinforms, he exaggerates, he, he, he does what he's supposed to do. But can he, to Karen's point, can he then be the leader of a country in the same way? And he has to find some of that common ground in order to get ahead. But um, I think he's the front runner. I don't know if Josh Ray is going to play. I don't know if Patrick Brown's going to play. I mean, yeah, it's all we depending on timing discuss of, the, that. of the provincial election as well. I mean, if Doug Ford doesn't come across with the majority, the knives may be out, in which case Patrick Brown may want back in. But I don't know. I, I hear a lot of talk. And uh, John probably knows better than any of us really what's happening up there. John, Patrick Brown? Listen, Patrick would be it would be another uh, never underestimate Patrick Brown. I think we've all learned that. I, <laughs> um, I never he, do. He he yeah. he's a smart guy. Go ahead, John. Yeah, no, smart, but also very politically very politically astute, and somebody who obviously has completely rebuilt his his political uh, bona fides as, as mayor of Brampton and would get reelected within a second. Uh, uh, when he runs again for Brampton. But whether or not he wants to make the jump now is a different story. And, uh, and, and of course, I also believe, too, quite frankly, Libby, that, you know, a candidate should have, should be fully bilingual. It's, it's tough not to be running, to, it's tough to be running for uh, a national party like the Conservatives and not be bilingual. Uh, and again, as I mentioned earlier, not Doesn't he speak French? In, Sorry? Patrick doesn't speak French? I don't know if he does, to be honest. I'm not sure how his French is. Of course, we've never had to see it in Ontario, but I, I know that he was he was certainly learning it when he was uh, when he was a, a premier of Ontario. But or sorry, leader of the Conservatives, want to be a premier of Ontario. But 
But nonetheless, he would be somebody that I would never underestimate because he's got a huge amount of, of, of political capital and base uh, that, that's in Ontario, but it could easily be spread across Canada. I agree. <laughs> okay, let's take a call from Ron in Guelph. Hi, Ron. Hi, Libby. Uh, loving the comments. Uh, we're running out of time, I guess. So um, what's scary is what started off as an idea, Trucker Convoy, when I heard Tucker Carlson and Glenn Beck from Fox News interview, I said, uh-oh, this is swinging the other direction. And it's taken on a whole new life of its own. The far right are now becoming uh, a presence. Um, we saw that with uh, Maxime Bernier and some of his supporters are obviously the far right. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm fearful for where our country is heading. Um in the direction it's going right now. With, um, I mean, this is getting crazy out there now. Okay, Ron, thanks for that. Yeah, uh, it does look uh, pretty crazy to a lot of us kind of mild-mannered Canadians. But before we go to wrap things up, um, license plates, the $120 sticker fee, uh, to me, that seems so totally on brand for Doug Ford, but it's a million dollars. Uh, John, what do you think? Well, you know, it, it, it is on brand for for for, the, for Doug Ford. You know, you saw him sort of cut fishing fees and other other sort of fees that that were sort of at the hundred dollar range that that really affected you know sort of you know middle middle class uh, Ontarians in some ways. But the challenge here, though, Libby, is that with with license renewals, it's usually more than a hundred dollars. Because usually, if you have any parking tickets, <laughs> you, you can't you can't get it until you pay those off. So it becomes actually quite quite significant as far as the cost is concerned. But that also speaks to the fact that it, you know you, you lose that that incentive for people to pay the parking tickets because you know you couldn't get a license renewal if the, if it was unpaid. So, you, so that's going to be something they're going to have to deal with as well. And is is that for just the parking tickets or the violations too? Uh, Karen, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's violations. And any it's violate. Yeah, that's correct. But it's it's parking, right? Not it's not the moving. It's not the provincial violations. Yeah, it, well, it wouldn't be. Well, it would be cameras too. So if you are caught speeding on camera or you were caught through going through a red light, where there's um, those those infractions would also be counted. But if I parked at an expired meter, it would be that too. That's correct. Okay, yeah, because I know that just that part of it, not the infractions, that's 60 million bucks a year in Toronto. Yeah. Um, uh, so, Charles, what do you think? License uh, plates. I, I don't get it. I mean, I get why he's doing it. And like we in the Liberal Party near the end of our term, we were buying votes. This is nothing more than that. <laughs> we have, but what, 4 million or so drivers out there, 120 bucks for each license, that's $480 million. And they're not going to balance. The Financial Accountability Office has just mentioned that they're not going to see balance until 2025. And it's not even a balance. It's going to be a $2.5 billion deficit even then. And for them to reduce licensing fees when they say they're going to build Highway 413, well, who's going to pay for it? And how are they going to pay for it? So it doesn't equate. And I, I get the politics of it. I'm just infuriated by the finances of it. The oh, issue uh, Charles, uh, on point, very, very much. Karen, last word to you on this. I guess it shows that he's on the side of drivers uh, as a municipal, former municipal per- person. Good idea. It sounds like something he would have done when he was a councillor or well, when Rob was mayor. They did. When, yeah. when, when his brother was mayor and he yeah. was a councillor, they, they took away the additional fee the city had imposed on license plate renewals. But, you know, again, it's just a little bit it's strange, to be candid, because I, there hasn't really been a burning issue around people paying license plate fees. Right now, it might be emerging as an issue now because during COVID, you were granted extensions on renewing your license and people didn't have to do it. So now they're going to do it and they're two years in arrears plus their parking ticket. So they're maybe, to John's point, facing $500 bills to renew their license plate and they're complaining. <laughs> but I don't think that's an issue. I don't think that's a reason to abandon the program. Hmm. I renewed for two years during COVID. No problem. <laughs> yeah, like I, I just, I, I just don't know where it's coming from, where this issue is coming from that he thinks it's the burning one that he's going to appease anybody by making this new policy statement. I don't know. Maybe it was just, hey, you see those protests? Look over here. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> okay. Uh, 
Great conversation. Thanks so much, Charles Souza, John Capobianco, and Karen Stintz. And we will talk again soon. Thanks so much. Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks. Thanks, Libby. Bye, Bye, everyone. Bye. Uh, We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to get it straight from the horse's mouth in Ottawa. We are going to be talking to City Councilor Carol Ann Meehan to get an update on what's going on there. And is the situation uh, getting any better when we return? You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. So what is happening in Ottawa now and what do local politicians and others want? What do you want? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I'm joined by Ottawa City Councillor Carol Ann Meehan. Thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. So, uh, first of all, what is going on today? Uh, has the situation improved? Well, in terms of noise, definitely. And that's because last night was the first night that the injunction that was uh, granted um, by the um, Ontario Superior Court judge was in effect. So I think for the most part, uh, my understanding is that most of the truckers in the downtown core who have been, uh, if you've been following the story, just laying on their horns day and night, uh, you know, aggravating and and, uh, causing unbearable hardship for downtown residents, they were quiet last night, so uh, I understand uh, mostly quiet again today. A few, um, you know, truckers here and there that are back onto the horns, but at least we have that tool now to uh, hit them with, um, you know, an, inju- uh, uh, an injunction. We can hit them with larger fines, and uh, for the most part, they're adhering to it. So uh, to the truckers who are listening to this, thank you. Uh, thank you for, for for listening and to and for uh turning off the horns last night. Well, to be honest, I was surprised by that. I mean, I wouldn't have thought that something like an injunction would would deter them. They certainly, you know, weren't deterred by tickets and what other Mm -hmm. um, enforcement has been brought to bear so far. Well, it it brings with it uh, a little heftier fines. They can be fined $1,000 a night. So, I mean, that speaks volumes. And how do you collect? Well, I don't... Sorry, I guess bylaw will bylaw will ticket the the trucks and the register the trucks as they're registered and they'll have to pay eventually. Hmm. Okay. Well, um, that sounds uh, that sounds like that's one good thing. Now, uh, this morning I heard uh, Mayor Jim Watson say that he still has confidence in the police chief. Meanwhile, and uh, we just had our political panel and they uh-huh. said, well, they don't think it's the police chief's fault, but people in Ottawa think it's the police chief's fault. Where are you on that? I'm a member of the Ottawa Police Services Board. So um, I I was briefed along with the rest of the board uh, prior to this uh, protest starting. And from all indications, everybody underestimated what was going to happen. We thought it was going to be a regular truck protest where they come in and they leave after they've delivered their message. Um, I think we're going to have to do a postmortem after this is all said and done and figure out where the intelligence failed. Uh, how come we didn't know that it was going to be much bigger and it was going to collect enough number of fringe groups that are going to come in and, and really cause a great deal of trouble? I understand the truckers' uh, complaint. They are allowed to demonstrate. Uh, but I don't know how uh, the, the the majority of the convoy could have stopped all those fringe elements from joining up and causing all the problems, because you've seen it. We've had hate being spewed on, on the streets of Ottawa. We've had the Confederate flags, Nazi Nazi symbols. Um, it's It's been un, unbelievable. And to have a siege in our city that's going on day 12 now, um, we've got to get some answers to how this was allowed to happen. Uh, on the other side, we're told that what's happened in Ottawa has helped officials in other Canadian cities deal with this. Like that's Toronto. Not good enough for the people that, yeah, like Toronto, like Quebec City. Um, but that's not good enough. It, this has been extreme hardship on the citizens of Ottawa. And quite frankly, we have to find a way to get this to stop. This ha- And we have to work right now because we're told that more people are coming in again for a third weekend. That can't be allowed to happen. 
But the solution is, with the solution, everybody's got an opinion on it, and nobody seems to want to coordinate it. So we don't want bloodshed. We want this to end peacefully. We're asking, we're appealing for these truckers to go home and let their, their you know, let vent on the provincial government because they're the ones that are in charge of these mandates. Vent on them. Don't keep the citizens of Ottawa hostage just because uh, you... <laughs> I don't know that you they're, they're misguided in many respects. That's what I'm that's what I'm feeling. They're misguided. They they came to Ottawa. They think it's Ottawa's the responsibility. It's not. It's the provincial government's responsibility. Um, OK, uh, I don't think uh, I don't think they're up for jurisdictional uh, uh, debates, <laughs> frankly. But, uh, you know, um, we have all levels of government. I mean, the federal government said they're they're starting a table. I mean, to me, it sounds like. None of this is going to work, though, like I said, I was pleasantly surprised that the injunction worked. The mm-hmm. opposition leaders, provincial opposition leaders, have both suggested uh, doing something with the trucks, like suspending uh, their licenses, their commercial licenses. The way Stephen Del Duca put it was, uh, leave or lose your rig. I don't know exactly how that would play out in a reasonable amount of time. What do you think of those ideas? I would I would examine any possibility. What I have found is right now um, we're not privy, I guess, to um, the extent of the police intelligence that they've got on these uh, bad actors downtown. But I know that there has to be a reason why we're not going in and hitting them harder than we have. Um, I think that our inaction has emboldened uh, many of the truckers, and that's why they're digging in. Uh, but that said. I, I would hope that the chief of police knows something more than we do, and he's protecting us and keeping us safe, because we really don't know what kind of weapons and, and how hot-headed some of these people are. We don't want bloodshed. We're appealing to their sense of decency and uh, to be Canadian. I heard somebody here, this, one of the truckers this morning, say, well, this is the price we have to pay for our freedom. Well, you know what? The majority of Canadians have paid a price, and that's adhering to the the mandates, the vaccination mandates, who've got vaccinated twice, sometimes three times in order to protect our health. That's, that they're the people who've given the biggest sacrifice for our freedom. These truckers are misguided. They should take their, 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 their complaints home. Let and, Ottawa get back to normal. And, and again, uh, do you have a concrete suggestion, uh, other than, uh, trying to direct them to the province? <laughs> Um, at this point, no. Um, but it's in, by, but, you know, I, I, I don't know exactly what's going on with police right now. We can't, uh, as a member of the police services board, we can't direct the police. We can only monitor and oversee and try to help them. Right now, they're the chief of police and uh, they're, they're appealing for 1,800 more police officers and civilians to help us police the situation. Uh, you know, there are rumors, uh, I'm told the truckers are spreading rumors that there's going to be a crackdown. Um, that would be news to me. But uh, I would welcome something that uh, shows them that the, that the rule of law has to be adhered to. They, you can't have just, uh, you know, groups of trucks, truckers come in and hijack a city because that's what they've done. Our main shopping plaza in downtown Ottawa has been closed for more than a week. Uh, absolutely. Twenty million bucks, they say, at the Rideau Center. Ludicrous, ludicrous businesses that can't open their doors. We have residents downtown, thousands of them, who can't leave their homes because they're spat on and harassed and followed. Uh, this is not Canadian. This is. Uh, Let me ask this you. Is so frustrating. So frustrating that, like, we live in the best country in the world. Canada is the best country in the world. But all these jerks, and I'm sorry, they're jerks that they are upending our democracy and causing us to live in an ugly, ugly state. Uh, Final question. I mean, since uh, you're with this situation and and are hearing that more is coming, can't the city, uh, the capital region, prevent more of them coming in? Well, definitely. That's definitely what we're pressing for. We have to stop. We were told that we could not stop these trucks coming in. Well, they did that in Quebec. They inspected every darn truck that was coming in and prevented people from joining that big, making the protest even bigger. We've got to do that here. 
And if what if it takes more resources, we're uh, I'll again reiterate that we need those eighteen hundred officers. And if you know we're not very far, we're two hours away from from base Petawawa. Uh, I know that the, it's up to the provincial government to call in the military. I'm not calling. I wouldn't suggest calling in the military to start bashing heads. But we need those bodies on the ground in order to to keep the peace downtown and to and to peacefully try to encourage these people to move out to go home, leave Ottawa, and take their their complaints and their arguments with the levels of government that actually have the responsibility for mandates and for vaccinations. Um, It's not with the city's citizens of Ottawa. They're ruining lives here. People are sick to death. They're anxious. They're fearful. And uh, the, the atmosphere that they're creating in the city is just very, very unhealthy. Caroline Meehan, thank you so much and uh, all the best of luck to you and the residents of Ottawa who uh, are trying to go about their lives with all of this. Thanks so much. Well, it's not as, uh, you, know, you guys don't have it as badly as we do, but uh, you've had it. And unfortunately, uh, I think you have to be uh, aware that it can happen again. So, okay. Uh, this is the new times that we're living in. Quite sad, isn't it? Yeah. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Bye bye. Okay, we're going to take another break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about something else that a lot of people think the government should lift. Uh, we want it lifted peacefully, I might add, and that is the travel advisory. Do we still need it? A lot of people seem to be traveling to get away from the weather, at least. We'll talk about that when we come back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. This week, Australia, a country that had one of the toughest lockdowns in the world, announced that it is opening up to tourists starting later this month. Other countries have done the same. What about us? Is the travel advisory still necessary, along with the very stringent testing requirements for vaccinated travelers? I'm seeing trips advertised that are coming up very soon, uh, and they're being uh, touted or sold by some very reputable organizations. And I know lots of people on the move, full disclosure. I'm thinking about it myself. What do you think? The numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free one. 1- 866-744-740. Now let's go to Martin Firestone, president of Travel Secure. Hi, Marty. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm well, thanks. So you think it's time to take the travel advisories off and we're uh, losing tourism bucks? <laughs> Wake up Canada. That was the heading. Yes, we are losing tremendous tourism dollars, both in people traveling outside of the country and people coming inside to the country. And that is starting to be incredibly problematic with March break and summer 2022 on the horizon. Um, I was on an American website looking at what they have. So uh, they have us down as still level four do not travel. And most of the countries that you would want to go to at this time of year were the same. Level four, do not travel. Uh, I think Ecuador was a level three reconsider. So, uh, you know, the Americans are doing the same thing. Yeah, although we, we shouldn't have confused the level four from the World Health Organization, or I should say the CDC, is it different than the Canadian level three to avoid all non-essential travel or our level four? It, it seems a little stronger from the Canadian side when we hear that. They're just suggesting that the case counts in Canada are X. It's based on a formula. It's really nothing more than an advice model, and that's what they're suggesting. But it's by no means a mandate, and people are not necessarily following it. Who's kidding who? Uh, so, again, how are we losing money? I wouldn't think Canada is a big destination in March. A lot of people want to leave in March. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, travel became very difficult in the last couple of years. It wasn't just remember your passport. Who's kidding? Now it's the antigen test upon leaving. It's the PCR test 72 hours in advance before coming back. It's the random test potentially or the mandatory test if you're coming internationally. Arrive, can dock. Nothing is simple anymore. And that is causing people to be incredibly hesitant to travel. You know, uh, speaking of that random test, I have to say that Everybody I know that has gone away 
is selected for a random test. I think it's 80% of passengers are selected for a random test after their uh, negative PCR test to come home. Yeah, which seems like a very redundant step in light of all that's going on right now. And that's the one that really has to get out of the way first. Then the question is the antigen test heading out and the 72-hour negative test coming back. These things, forgetting the cost, which range anywhere from free, as many people will tell you, up to 300 if you want it back in two hours, is really causing concern, especially with families. I mean, that could be five tests at that amount if, in fact, they had to do it. Well, and at this point, you have to find the test. You do. There are some cities and areas a little more remote where that test isn't so quick to find. Then there are others like Florida or Fort Lauderdale or Boca Raton where they're en masse at either a local drugstore or a clinic that's set up or a pop-up tent. So it's all about where you're going. And even then, you still run the risk of not getting results back in time. And then you're sitting at the airport with no test. And guess what? You're not getting on any plane. Uh, let's go to Jordan in Fort Erie. Hi, Jordan. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. Go ahead. You're on the air. Oh, thank you. So I recently just came back in from the States. I have a girlfriend who lives over in Buffalo. And getting that 72-hour test has been really, really difficult. Uh, you know, you're looking at CVS or Walgreens or all those kinds of different places to try to get that test so that you can come back into the country. And if you're working on the next day, it's a little bit difficult to get that. So my question is, why don't they bring back that 72-hour, hey, you can go over into the States and come back without the test? Uh, yeah. Go ahead, so, Marty. I, I'll just give you my two cents. That was that's That one, when it was enforced, didn't make a lot of sense because you were having the test you took in Canada that was still good for the 72 hours to come back. So, I mean, there were critics that argued, well, what was the point of that one? Because you could have theoretically picked up the virus in your stay there. So they took it away again. I think that is another one that's got to be taken away. Your your caller is, is 100% correct. Why don't they bring it back? Why don't they just get rid of it totally? We've got to get to the point where these restrictions are removed in totality. And, uh, you know, Jordan, you're talking about working the next day. So so here's the thing. If you're if you're coming back and you're planning on working the next day, but they select you, you've got to isolate till you get the result of that test. Right. So I'm very fortunate enough to be work from home. But if I was in a position where I wasn't work from home, and, you know, even if it comes back where it's positive, like, think of it this way. I'm taking the test on, you know, I went into the States on Saturday. I took the test on Saturday from Sunday to Monday. I could have picked up covid at any place that I'd gone to in the States, they only have that test for when I was there on Saturday and when I showed up to the pharmacy, not for Monday, Tuesday. I don't understand why they don't use those rapid antigen tests, like they're on site at the border, and delegate people accordingly to get the molecular test if they test positive on the rapid. Then you have the double testing capabilities. I don't know. It just seems like it's kind of a process. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I hear you. And, uh, yeah, it's making it easier for, uh, making it harder for you to see your girlfriend. Thanks for your call, Jordan. Thanks, Libby. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah. Um, it just makes it harder for everybody. It is just another thing and another level of expense. And never mind the expense at this point, uh, Marty, but, uh, you know, it's hard to get your hands on those tests. Very much so. And even filling out the ArriveCan document, you know, a lot of my, my uh, clientele is snowbirds. Honestly, they have to sit down and try to do this online on a, either a mobile phone, iPad, laptop. It's asking a lot for an 85-year-old to sit down and figure out how to do this ArriveCan doc. And let me tell you, if it's not done properly, not done accurately, and then you don't download your test results and do this and do that, they're not going anywhere. So it's got to ultimately, it's got to be taken out of the mix because it's just very confusing and causing people to really rethink their decisions to travel. Mm-hmm. But again, uh, uh, how long before it actually hurts our industry? I mean, again, I don't think people are coming here for March break. No, it's, it's hurting it big time. And our hope was that come spring or summer for sure that we'll be through all this. And I'm telling you one small point. These snowbirds that are all down in the U.S. right now, they are writing me to extend their current insurance coverage. They have no desire to come back. They have no desire to take PCR tests at the cost that there is. Get on an airplane flight, 
sit on a tarmac, then wait to get randomly tested here. So if anything, it's keeping the money out of our economy and down in the U.S. even longer than they had planned to be away. Really? Yep. Yeah. Um, so, um, I mean, do you think that it's, it seems to me that all this stuff is sort of constantly being uh, rethought. I mean, are you expecting it to change anytime soon? There have been a lot of people calling for it. Yeah. So I thought myself it could be in the next couple of weeks or he would slowly remove layers. But now with this protest and all that's going on right now, I think if you look at it optically, it doesn't want to look like he's removing these things now because uh, our prime minister is being put under pressure to do that, if you know what I'm saying. So it's kind of actually hurt the cause in a roundabout way because maybe he won't do it as quick as he thought he was because he doesn't want to bow to pressure because of this. And that's a thought that I was thinking could be a real problem where it may take still more than they expected before they start removing any of these layers. And so, uh, finally, what's your advice to people uh, like me who are thinking of, you know, going away for a week to somewhere warm? Is is it going to be more trouble than it's worth? No, I think it's time we all get away, both mentally and so many other reasons. But I will tell you what's become a very important product now in your mix, and that's trip interruption. In case you test positive and have to quarantine and cannot get back on that plane to return home, you need some form of insurance to cover accommodations, expense, costs, and new airfare home. That is called interruption. It never was much before, but since COVID, it's become now a household name. So look into trip interruption as part of your overall insurance package when you do travel. And and approximately how much does it cost? Not a lot at all. It can be as little as $35, $40, $65, just to give you the peace of mind that if you couldn't get on that plane, you can then have X amount towards. They do cap it, albeit, but it still is better than nothing, and it will pay a lot of the cost uh, of you having to stay the 11 days. Okay. Anything else you want to leave us with? <laughs> Let's just hope that maybe in a month we talk again and the whole world is picked up again, restrictions removed, and people are traveling, and we're all smiling again. That's all I can say. Okay. Martin Firestone, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Libby, for having me. Take care. You too. And that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.